Hey college kids, today's episode is a bit different from what I usually do. I'll be interviewing Trisha Craig and she helps students, high school students, build music resumes for college, whether you're applying to a music school specifically or applying to a music program within a larger university or larger college. So I'm just here to remind you to subscribe so you know when new episodes are released and enjoy. Hey, college kids, welcome back to my podcast, Who Cares About College? In today's episode, I'll be interviewing Trisha. So if you could introduce yourself. Well, hi, I am Trisha Craig. I am a classically trained flutist. I'm a flutist and conductor, and uh, I have a business called Music Builds Lives, and I coach music students on leveraging their musical training to get into college with scholarship money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I said we jump into the questions, but... Um, I have like friends who are, you know, in my school, like music is a big thing there. A lot of my friends are in band or orchestra and do like bands and orchestra outside of school as well. And like a lot of them have like seriously considered becoming like a musician down the road. They just don't, they know it's like really hard. Like most people don't end up doing it. They just like give up. You have to be really passionate about music to stick to stick to it throughout your life. So like if you could just like give quick advice as to how you know that you should actually pursue music? Well, first, I just, um, I, you know, I, we weren't going to talk about this, but I also have a business coaching creative people on the business side of their life. And um, the, the, the fact is that anything you choose to do, it takes, uh, it is hard, is hard to do. It's hard to be a dentist for the rest of your life and to make it. It's hard to be an accountant for the rest of your life and make it. It's hard to be a pianist. But, so, so it's not true that, um, that, that it's harder than other fields in that mm-hmm. realm. What, what ends up happening is that a lot of musicians just haven't been taught any of the entrepreneurial side of what they need to know. And those who do know that do really well. Like they might not be principal in an orchestra or they might not be the leading uh, opera singer in a major company, but they still can have a a fulfilling career doing that. So um, the, the, what I, I, I recommend when it comes to those students who are really doing great with music, who think they might like to do that as a career, I say, go to school for music and uh, it will, it will pan out into something. It'll lead to something and, uh, and to be open-minded about what that career will look like. I mean, that I, I, I say if they're thinking they might like to do that, then honestly, you know, I used to work at a conservatory and I had um, I knew people who were whose parents were like, well, you can audition to play cello here, but I want you to go to business school, that kind of yeah. thing. And the, the fact is that if you go to school for music or if you go to school for something that you love doing, that you're good at, you're going to do better in school. And uh, and then you would if you went to something that you don't really care about. And also, I have to say that right now, law schools and and um, medical schools are actively recruiting music students for their programs. Really? Yes, and that is because musicians know stuff that other students do not learn, and the list is extraordinary. So 
Uh, if you just look at your friends who are in in orchestra, for example, they've been practicing something to gain that skill every single day since they were about six. So they know how to practice to learn a skill. Mm-hmm. How many of your other um, student friends mm-hmm. have done that? And so what's happening is learning skill has become something that people don't know how to do. And so when you get to medical school and you have to learn how to do you know, open heart surgery and you don't know how to learn that skill, medical schools are having a very difficult time teaching people how to learn skills. So there, uh, so there's that. There's also we musicians get critiqued every single week in our private lesson, in our, um, I mean, we get shredded. <laughs> Ask your friends, what's the yep. worst lesson you've ever had? And yep. they will tell you. Uh, so we get shredded in every single lesson we take, every single rehearsal, uh, even at the professional level, you do a concert. It doesn't matter how famous you are. There's, there are people out there writing articles saying, oh, my gosh, they're awful. Their tone was terrible. Mm-hmm. So we know how to take it. And when it comes to law school and medical school, people with music degrees are totally ready to be like, yep, I messed that up. That was not good. I know I have to go back and rewrite that thing or I have to redo that research or I have to retry that skill. And uh, music students are the ones who are like, okay, I'm on it. And they just go back and do it. Other students are are not qualified to handle that kind of pressure and they crash Mm -hmm. and burn. And the list goes on and on and on. Music students from the time that they're young are dealing one-on-one with professionals in their field. And um, other students aren't aren't doing that. So they don't know inherently how to deal with um, those kind of interactions, those kind of professional conversations. I mean, I'll bet that your music friends are able to speak in class more articulately than many of the other students in your class. They're able to interact with teachers better and, um, and, and, um, and come up with ideas on the spot. Music students are taught how to handle pressure right on stage. And, uh, you know, when you're trying to learn to do medical procedures or how to be a lawyer, um, a lot of students are just not able to handle that like anymore. And music students can. And, um, oh, there's more. And I didn't write down these th- this list. I could I could go on all day about this kind of stuff because um, they're, they're, oh, you know what another big one is? And this one, my... I do this with my clients. We go through a whole list of things that they've learned through music and we translate it into other fields. And one of them uh, that everybody kind of laughs at, especially the men, the young men, they say, well, I know how to wear a tuxedo and tie a bow tie. Does that count? And it does. We music students have been having to wear concert attire, appropriate clothing. And then for those of us who did marching band or went to percussion, we have to wear a uniform. We've been doing that since we were kids since little kids. And when you go to study, you know, anything where there's a a clothing requirement, an appearance requirement, you know, like if you're going to be a chef and you have to wear the jacket and there's pushback, people don't want to have to wear what they're told to wear or they don't want to have to conform. But music students, you know, even, even to go get a job at an ice cream stand and they're like, okay, you have to wear this cap and this shirt. And you're like, awesome. It's not a marching band uniform. I'm, I'm cool. I'll wear that. And the, the music students are the ones who never complain about having to wear that that item. So music students are so hireable. And I actually have a friend, a colleague who um, has degrees in saxophone, was teaching in the public schools, and he realized that he had a passion for animals. And he is in his early 30s, and he just got into veterinary school at Cornell. 
based on his musical training. And now he's studying to become a vet with a big honking scholarship. Wow. So music students are not, I tell the parents, <clears throat> music students are not normal. Your kid, all the things that you see when you go to uh, marching band competitions or orchestra concerts or all state, all of those kids, all of the stuff that they're doing, all of the interaction, the practicing, the um, knowing to be appropriate and to strive for excellence and to work as part of a team. All of those things are music specific and outside of those, that musical realm. Um, schools are really finding that, that students are not uh, qualified to deal with a lot of, a lot of those kinds of, a lot of things that they're required to deal with, especially as they go on to grad school. And so grad schools are literally throwing money at musicians because they know that we can take it, that we're smart, that we can handle the pressure, that we know how to learn skills, all of those things. So if you think that you want to go to school for violin and you're not sure if maybe you'd prefer to be a doctor, go to school for violin. Mm -hmm. And then you can go to medical school later, I promise. Okay, so that, that's a whole rabbit hole we can go to. I had no idea I music know. students were so hireable. But I want to ask one more thing before we jump into like creating a music resume. Yeah. So one thing my friends like talk about, the ones that are interested in music, mm -hmm. they really love music and they can't imagine their life without it. And the thing they're struggling is with is, should I make it like a career or should I make it like a hobby or something, you know, stuff like that. And I'm telling them like, oh, how hard is it to like, again, you said in every career to like to make it to the top, it's really hard. But they're saying like with music schools, for a lot of schools, like it doesn't really matter where you go to school. So long, once you get your first job, you build yourself up from there once you get your first job at least. But for like music schools, like Juilliard and I always forget the other one, like Juilliard and the other really big one. Um, they say like, if you don't get into those schools, then you're probably never going to make it to one of those like bigger orchestras, bigger like um, bands, if you, if that's what you want to pursue. Cause they like most of those people, musicians who go from there are from those like big, like those really famous Juilliard, the conservatories. So like, I guess I'm asking, how do you, if the probability is so low of you actually getting into like the highest conservative, like not conservatory, but like orchestra out of college, like, how do you know you have the passion for music to pursue it that intently or just keep it as a hobby throughout your life? Uh, like, how did all, you know? I, how did you know I, that you wanted to pursue music, for example? I just I just knew that I wanted to. Uh, when I was looking at colleges, I was thinking I was thinking of either studying music or English at the time. Um, and here's the funny thing. Uh, I was really good at biology and the science department chair was like you should go to school for biology and I laughed and I was like what do you do with a biology degree like now that everything's changed and everybody like biology is like such a cool thing but back then I was like I couldn't even imagine what you do with that um but uh so I knew that I wanted to uh increase my musical I I, I didn't want to stop and I wanted to keep working at it and so I chose to go to school for music and I just sort of I, I don't know at first I thought I wanted to be a band director and I changed my 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 degree. I mean, that's the other thing. You go to college and you can change your mind. Um, but so I pursued music first because I knew that it would be hard to go back into it if I didn't do it first. It's hard to get back in music because you have to get that skill back. So that's how I chose it. I challenge your assumption or assertion that everybody in the top orchestras went to Juilliard. Uh, uh, I don't know. Juilliard, like that's all I hear from my friends. They're like Juilliard no, and the other one. They're, they're wrong. They're wrong. 
Uh, in fact, people and Juilliard's a phenomenal place and I have clients who apply there. So I'm not going to diss Juilliard and it's a great place for very specific people. Um, but also it's a great place to burn out. And there are lots of people who went to Juilliard and then crashed afterwards because they have been playing at such a high level from such a young age that they're already like world-class level practically when they get to Juilliard. And then with all of that intensive work and all of that pressure and everything, they graduate and they're just like done. Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of people in, I'm from New England, we've got the Boston Symphony Orchestra right here. I, I can't give percentages or statistics, but I'm certain that if we got a list of every single person from the Boston Symphony Orchestra and looked at where their training came from, I'm certain that it is not a high percentage of Juilliard grads. So that's the first thing The being able to, to, to play is more important than getting into Juilliard. You're not going to get into Juilliard. I mean, people, some people get into Juilliard, but probably someone who's like, I wonder if I should major in music. They're not, they're already not quite at that level. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you're Juilliard bound. Um, uh, and so there are lots and lots of really amazing training grounds in the U S and beyond. And so, uh, with lots and lots of really wonderful options to combine majors or to study, um, you know, outside of just violin, you might want to go into musicology or composition or other things or other things you can do in music. And um, I, I would, anyone, anyone who's having that conversation, honestly, tell them to have, come have a free chat with me and I will give them a pep talk because, because they need, they, the, the, that question is based in fear. I never hear anyone say, oh, I wonder if I should bother to study accounting. Will I be able to make it? Or, or, or should I become a surgeon? I don't know if I can get into that, to that medical school or something like that. People are just like, I'm going to try. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with music, it's the same thing. You're really good at the tuba and you think you'd like to study it at the college level, then do because it will lead to other things. Either you'll become a great tuba player and be in a military band or the symphony or whatever it is, or you'll um, find other opportunities or use that musical training to go elsewhere. So it's, it is, a, you, you can't, you can't lose, uh, honestly, um, more so now than ever before, I would say, just by looking at what other uh, students have for their experiences. Mm -hmm. the, the, like I said, colleges are finding that there's quite a uh, challenge in teaching the typical student. Um, and But it's easy to work with the music students because they've dealt with a lot more. So uh, how do you know if you have the passion? Well, you you try. Mm -hmm. You try. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, you just, you just try and you go for it. And, um, and when we're talking about all the questions for this, um, for this conversation about the resumes, uh, we can we can touch on that more because there are things that they can be trying now that will tell them if they if they love doing that. A lot of my clients didn't know that they wanted to major in music until they went to a high end music camp in the summer. And they went to music camp. There was one student that um, that had a had a, a meeting with me after having attended music camp, and she was going to be a senior. She it, it was like August of her senior year. And she said, you know, I kind of thought I was going to go to a business school or something. And she goes, but I went to music camp and gosh, I just wish college could be like that. And I was like, music college is like that. Like, that's what music school is. It's the same 
type of thing. And they ended up going on to become a really great um, music educator at, actually here in New Hampshire. Uh, and they they realized it after going to um, a music a music training program. Yeah. Disclaimer going into this episode, um, everyone listening, I'm recovering. So if I sound dead or nasally or whatever, that's why. I'm, I'm so out of it. I've been sick for so well, many days. Hope you feel really well really soon. <laughs> I hope so. It's getting better. I'm just recovering. Good. All right. Good. So let's get into the questions. So first, and I'm coming, like I usually have background knowledge on this kind of stuff. I don't know what a music resume is. I don't know anything about, despite have like all my friends being into music. But so number one, what is a music resume? And like, how do colleges view it? Is it the same as get as deciding whether to accept the student athlete to play like D1 or D2 at your school? So how do colleges view it and what is a music resume? Well, let's start with what a music resume is. It's literally a list of all the things that you've done as a, as a music student. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so it's music specific. So on the college applications, there's also the, um, you know, the student the student resume, your, your activities resume. And this is similar to that, but it's just all of the music related activities all in one place. Um, and that can go to the music department, I mean, to the, uh, in with your application. But what I really teach my clients to do is to create a, a relationship with the music department at the schools that you're interested in. So athletes do the same thing, right? They get, they, they have, they go, they have the coaches come look at them and all these things that the athletes do. Um, the music department um, in many instances does, does similar stuff, but they don't, they don't leave. You bring it to them. So, you know, there's not this, there's not as much recruitment, although there is recruitment as well. But um, uh, so, so it's all about being able to fill the need that the school has. And if they have a need for your instrument, and what you do at the level that you do it at, then it can help you in the college process and it can help you with scholarship money. Did I, did I answer that question? Yeah, I think you did a good job. I mean, the thing, the thing to remember when you look at, when you look at a school, any school, whether you're going to study music or, or participate in music, when you look at any school, they have, for example, they have um, sports. And so if they don't have anyone coming there to play field hockey, then they're not going to have a field hockey team for long. And they can't lose that team because that's part of the, the fabric of the school. And the same thing holds true in the music department. If they have an orchestra, then they have to fill it. And some schools are finding it difficult to fill their, their large ensembles. And so what they're doing is they're adding a community element to it. So they might have, um, you might have, mostly students and then some adults in the community that join and play in the group. They're like amateur musicians. Or um, if they, if the school is near another big music school, they might hire students from that other school to come play in your band or in their orchestra to fill those seats. So what they would prefer to do is to have current students to fill all of those spots. Um, And, and so your music resume, uh, if it's well done, uh, and well thought out and, and, and that you've done enough things to, to, um, to, to show that you're at a high level, you might be exactly what they need in order to make sure that their orchestra keeps, keeps playing and, or their choir or their jazz band or, or their pep band or whatever they have. And so 
um, the music department has to be able to bring in people at a certain level who will fill those spots. And so your music resume helps them to see that you're one of those people. Mm-hmm. And I guess going into um, like schools looking at music resumes, more students that have a high interest in music, like with every job, the, every job is going to have different qualifications for a position, like expectations that they want. So when you're applying to a school and you're, you want to be part of their music program, even if you want to just like double major in it or something, you still want to be part of it. But for a school to seriously consider you to come and play for them, is there like a certain level you need to reach? Like what I wrote was, is there a certain level you need to reach to have like a valid music resume? Is there like such a thing? Are there essential components that you must have? I mean, beyond the fact that you need to play instrument or like sing, but are there like really like big essential things that you need to have for a school to seriously consider you? Yeah. So there's a big spectrum when we're talking about every school in America or every school in the world, there's a really big spectrum. So there are some schools that have really um, mostly just a, a activities-based music stuff that people can play. And so, you know, clearly that would have a different level of expectation in order to participate than Juilliard. And that's at the other end of the spectrum, right? So, uh, but most people, and if we talk specifically about uh, students like the friends that you were talking about, um, really great musicians in a school music program who also play in an ensemble by audition outside of school, um, those that's like, that's a good um, standard right there. Those kinds of people are going to be able to show that they have the training necessary to play well at the college level. So some of the basics that, you know, if I were just going to talk to anybody about any school and not necessarily a music major, but maybe a minor uh, or, um, or just leveraging their musical training, I would say that you want to have been taking private lessons. That's important. You want to have been in your school music program all the way through high school or as much as possible. Um, And you want to have done some things outside of your school music program. So that could mean that you got into Allstate or that could mean that you play at your temple or your church, right? That some, some community service types of things that you've done um, can, can count. I, I, um, worked with a young woman who was a good music student, good, not, not, not groundbreaking, not winning awards, not, but she was a good student and she was involved in her school band all the way through high school. And she wanted to go to nursing school. She was looking at schools that didn't have music. She wanted to go to nursing school. But what we did was we worked on developing a music resume that it wasn't something that anyone at at a music degree would look at. She didn't, she didn't win anything. She didn't even play first chair in her band, but, um, but she had taken private lessons and she had played on some recitals. And so what we did was we put together, I call it the um, ovation project that I do with some of my clients and we put it together over the summer. And she did this thing where she got together a bunch of her music friends and they did a fundraiser for um, a nursing organization that raises money for children that are born addicted in her community. And so through her music, she was able to do this project and she was able to show uh, all kinds of um, the kinds of experience that we were talking about earlier, being able to interact with people and all of those things. 
And uh, she wasn't planning on playing music in college, but all of this musical stuff gave her so many ins and she got in everywhere and she got, uh, I think she ended up taking one of the full scholarships. She, they were blown away and, and she had done all of this work through music toward the nursing profession. And it, it made a huge difference, a huge difference. And she had lots of great questions in her application when she interviewed and things like that. Um, but for someone who wants to play and who wants to, uh, or major, it really depends on the level of the school. And one question about, um, you mentioned how like law schools and medical schools are recruiting music students because they can see the, I guess the skill, like their ability to learn skill in their discipline. Is it the same for like you applying to undergrad as a high schooler are obviously like colleges are not going to see like a decrease in like supply of certain student because they're not looking for a specific student like medical school and law school are mm-hmm. but like are they also like looking at um students with music and saying like oh they're definitely capable if they come to our school yeah yeah but you have to make sure that they know that about you right so um a lot of kids don't realize that applying to college is really a project in marketing uh, and they, you know, and they oh, have yeah. to, under, they have to understand that they're kind of selling themselves to the school. And so having that musical experience be a common thread in their, in their application uh, can make a huge difference, especially when they can articulate some of the things that we've been talking about. So when they can say, you know, that they, that they know how to learn a skill, if you're applying to a program where skill learning is important or, um, research or being able to, to work independently, all of these things, if you can articulate that you know how to do these things because you've been playing the viola since you were nine, then then you're already ahead of the game because uh, they will see that you know that how to be successful as a student at that school. All right. So let's go through the, the different, like, I guess we can say major, God. <clears throat> I was freaked out by my own voice there. All right. So let's go through the, <laughs> let's go through the major components of a music resume and like, let's stick it to the level that, like I said, my friends are there. They've been playing for a very long time to take private lessons and they do stuff outside of school as well. And mm-hmm. my, I wouldn't say like my school's competitive musically and I don't really know where we fall, but like you got some pretty good musicians. Like one of my Absolutely. class, yeah. One of my classmates, he, he um, plays the clarinet now, and I'm sure he's going to be applying to those like conservatories like Juilliard. I think his sister got into Juilliard. What's the other school? It starts. With, does it start with a C? So Curtis, you're probably thinking Curtis, Curtis. Yes, yeah. She either got in into Juilliard, yeah, Juilliard or Curtis. So like, mm-hmm. there are some decent musicians at my school. Yeah, so we can talk about that level, and then what okay. would be in their music resume when they're yeah. applying to like a, a lot of them. In my school, they're going to be applying to top schools. So I imagine like they'll be applying to like the music programs there as well. So let's talk about the different components. Number one, when should you start? Like what's an appropriate time to start an instrument so that you get to the level that you need to be before you apply to college? Uh, Well, I would definitely say for the average person, some point in elementary school, it almost doesn't matter as far as as long as you're able to play once you hit high school. That said, I have worked with people. Um, I'm a, I'm a professional flutist. I have taught students who have gone on to music school 
who started the flute when they were like a sophomore in college, they worked their tail off and they were amazing and they worked really hard. So, I mean, that can be done. The top flutist in the, one of the most famous flutists in the world anyway, at one point said that no one should start an instrument before 14 or 16 years old. And everybody was like, are you crazy? But it's because he could start then and and succeed. So, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter, especially if you have a drive for it. But if there are parents listening who are wondering when to start, I would say start as, as you know, by, by third or fourth grade would be amazing. Fifth or sixth would be great. Um, and, and take it from there. If they are in middle school and they, they are playing an instrument, but they don't have a private teacher, then now start getting a private teacher, you know, in middle school. That's, don't, don't wait any longer. That's a good time to, to catch up if you haven't. So, um, so, so, um, you know, I have, I have, I've had clients who come to me like that, that young woman who was like, I didn't know I'd want to go to music school. And now I went to camp and I love it. Uh, so we were, we, we, we raced around, you know, in September of her senior year to put some things together to give her a good competitive edge and make it possible to go. But for, um, for the average average musicians in a really good music program like the school you're talking about um they're 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 all all set if they've been in they've they've been taking private lessons and they've they've gotten into a youth orchestra or something outside of school and if they have been in the ensemble uh through high school then that's a really great start so they're in good shape regardless of what year they're in Mm -hmm. and you've been mentioning private lessons and i understand they can help you but like what exactly does a private lesson do in terms of building a music resume? Like it can help you become a better musician. I know that, but is it more for you to be more disciplined or does it actually have some weight when you show that you've been like taking private, like, or do you even write that you've taken private lessons on your resume? Yeah. And you list your teachers on your, on your resume, you list your private instructors. And if you've attended any master classes, you list those people as well. And you list your conductors on there. So if you've been in Allstate, for example, you would list your conductors. All of these things show what level you're at. And taking private instruction um, also makes it possible for you to win these kinds of things. It Mm -hmm. makes it possible for you to get first chair. If you're not taking private lessons, especially on some of the more popular instruments, you're just not going to, you're not going to be the top one in your school. You're not going to get into Allstate. You, is it you, like the you, discipline or something or do they? Yes. And that, and the specific, the very specific training, it's training. So when you're taking, um, well, I'm a flutist. So when you're taking a flute lesson, for example, I mean, we get down to hand position, we get down to really discussing what, how to use your body to get the best tone. And we have exercises that help to develop their, um, their embouchure, which is how they get their sound out so that they get a good sound and so that they can control their phrasing and do all of the artistry. I mean, private instruction is where you get really in depth into the art form and into your own specific, uh, skill level for that art form, for that instrument, for that craft. And it's essential. It's, it's absolutely essential. You don't get that level of one-on-one instruction and that level of uh, skill building without private lessons. Mm-hmm. And as I know from my own musical ventures in elementary school, that didn't last very long. I know that this <laughs> stuff is like really expensive. If you're not like singing, if you're playing like an actual instrument, getting the instrument, even if you like rent one, it's expensive. And I'm sure the lessons are expensive too. So like, 
is is there a way to actually pursue music in that way if you don't come from a um, financially like advantaged household? Uh, well, for people who are in a very very disadvantaged yeah. household, there are often community programs that can help them to to pursue music. And there's lots of great programs, especially in major cities around the country. Um, but beyond that, um, I have worked with some very not advantaged families, very, very um, uh, not wealthy families uh, who struggle. And as a family, when this when the student decides that they wanted to pursue um, music as their one thing, then the family makes it happen. They commit to it. So, I mean, I've had students who have, um, I, I'm thinking of one young man who wanted a flute. He wanted to buy a high-end flute. At the time, the amount that he wanted to spend was $4,000. Oh and so he, he was so committed to it that he got a summer job and put that money towards a flute. And he, for, for every um, uh, birthday and holiday for a couple of years, he told everybody, I'm saving up for a flute. Please don't buy me a present. Please, if you could give me cash towards my flute. And that kid paid for his own flute. Mm -hmm. So it can be done. It can absolutely be done. Uh, right. It's just with a little ingenuity. Uh, yes, there are programs that will help to purchase, purchase a, a, a nicer instrument. Um, but there are also uh, there are also um, and there are scholarships to help pay for the private instruction at certain in certain communities. Um, but there's there's always a way. There's always a way. All right. So let's go on to choosing your instrument. Again, some instruments are more popular than others. I don't know if I don't know if I'm saying this wrong, but I'm pretty sure like clarinet, for example, is like really popular. Whereas like a bassoon is like not that popular in terms of like the amount of people who play it. So, and this is more so for the parents and maybe more so for the, maybe for the kids as well. But when your child is like, I want to pursue music, like I want to try playing an instrument and they're like, oh, I really want to take it seriously. Like I really want to um, try and, you know, build yourself up till high school. It like, is it better to choose an instrument that's less popular and become really good at that because I feel like you'd have to work harder to make yourself stand out as someone who plays a clarinet versus someone who plays like a bassoon. So, like, <laughs> so your clarinet friend should move to New Hampshire because when you say clarinet, I almost laughed because uh, it's like no one plays the clarinet up here. What? I don't know what that's. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, everyone plays the violin and the flute. Um, oh, violin for sure. That's definitely the most yeah. popular one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the violin, there's so many violinists in an orchestra. That's a little different. Yeah. Um, percentage. So I owned a music school for 22 years and, and uh, parents would ask that question all the time. And really what it comes down to, if, if a student is very, very interested in a particular instrument, if, if some kid in your town heard the top, the top clarinetist from your school play and was blown away and just wanted to do that, then they will do well on the clarinet and pushing them toward the viola will not help them. So they they very likely would never get good at the bassoon, for example, because they wanted to play the clarinet. So the first thing is to do what the kid wants. If the kid is attracted to a particular instrument, then that's what they're going to want to do. And it'll be easier to get them to learn that instrument and to excel at that instrument. So that's the first thing. Once they get going, 
Um, and uh, a lot of times music teachers, especially in the school system, will say, you know, you're really good at the at the clarinet, but we need an oboe player. And maybe you'd like to try the oboe. And then the kid might say, no way. And another kid might say, absolutely. And that could give them some advantage. So you're, you're right. There are instruments that very generally speaking, um, there's, there are fewer of out there. Um, but, but you might not get good at that one if you don't, if you don't like it, you know what I mean? So, um, so part of it, so it's it's kind of a combination. If a kid is like, I don't know, should I play the trumpet or the tuba? I would say, why don't you go with tuba? Because mm-hmm. not so many people play the tuba and every school needs a really strong tuba section. You know, uh, one of my earliest clients was a tubist. Uh, is that what we call them? I don't even know. But she played, it was a young woman who played the tuba and in her state, she was um, all state level for several years on the tuba and she was going to school for engineering and her parents had no financial need and they were like, help us please. And we got her a big honking scholarship to play tuba in the, in the, in a big engineering school. So it made a, it made a huge difference. You know, I don't know that she would have gotten that if she played the flute. You know? All right. This is kind of like random question that popped up in my head, but, and I should ask my <laughs> friends this. I don't know why I'm not asking them, but clarinet versus oboe. It looks really similar. Yeah. I hear that the oboe is much harder to play. Like my yeah. friend, she plays the oboe and she's like, oh my God, my core, it hurts so much or something well, like yeah. that. Yeah. What makes mm-hmm. the oboe much harder to play than the clarinet? Because they both have reeds, but they're like different. <laughs> the oboe, you yeah. just blow on the reed, whereas the clarinet, you have the reed attached to the actual instrument. Yeah. So they have different kinds of reeds. The clarinet has, hold on. I think you gave me your Did I give you my sickness through the screen? I think you gave me your sickness through oh, the no. screen. Uh, that's with some powerful germs. Yeah. So the um, so the clarinet has like a hollow mouthpiece with a straight reed that closes it. So yeah. when you blow into the clarinet, you're just you're. I don't want to say just. Every instrument is difficult and has its challenges. But you're uh, it. Someone like me could grab a clarinet mouthpiece and make a honking sound on it because uh, you just, you just have to get that thing to vibrate. The oboe is a double reed. And so uh, if you want to play around with a double reed, take a a straw and like crush it and cut the edges just a little bit and see if you can make it squawk. So the double reed is like that. It's a, it's a, it's two pieces of reed that are vibrating on each other. It takes unbelievable pressure because your embouchure has to hold it open just right. And then it doesn't want air to go through. With the flute, I, I'm just blowing into the room. So there's no the, there, there's no holding back the air. But with the oboe, it's all about getting all of this pressure in exactly the right space while you're holding this little reed open just enough and getting it to vibrate. It's, I, it seems impossible it seems impossible. So uh, one of the things that happens with oboe players is is they'll be playing. And at the end, they have to exhale because all that pressure is still built up for flutes. Like we can't inhale enough. There's nothing left to exhale when we're playing because there's no resistance. We're just blowing into the room. So um, yeah, the clarinet is a single reed, like a saxophone. Mm -hmm. And the oboe is a double reed, just like a bassoon too. Okay. That, that was just, Oh, Wonder of mine. I've been wondering for years. I have friends who play both instruments and never knew why I never asked them. But anyways, let's yeah, go back the to the addition, question. 
the addition the additional issue for a double reed instrument players is that they make their own reeds it's an art form yeah 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 my uh, friend like yeah. the care that she takes for her reeds are like damn well it, i mean it's it's a whole craft and they they have to make their own reeds and then um you know what a pressure they're under if they have this one reed that just sounds amazing and they have a big audition coming up you want to practice on that one so you can sound amazing but you don't want to wear it out because you want to use it for the audition and then lord help you if you if you drop it and it breaks or it cracks and then you know they're like they're like i can't i i just ruined my audition i don't have a good read i mean it's intense it's intense i don't know how they manage without um a personal counselor to talk them through. <laughs> I don't have reeds. I just have a flute. I just put the thing together and it works just fine. I, as long as I maintain it, those reeds, they scare the living daylights out of me. And it's, you know, I, I know high end professional oboe players who play in symphonies in, in New England. And, you know, they they might have a week where they're like, I just got to sit and, and make reeds because I can't get one right right now. And so they'll, they'll just work on reeds. It's intense. I'll tell my friend that when she thinks about, you know, applying to music school and pursuing if she wants to spend a week of her life doing that. All right. So going back to the questions, we talked about like when you should start, what in like how you should choose your instrument. Mm. So now going into high school, mm. your high school will most likely have a music program of itself. Mm. So, mm. I mean, can you discuss like, I I don't think it's like hard to get into your own school's music program like no it depends on the school and a lot of schools you just sign up for a band yeah, or, that's, or that's a choir or jazz band or whatever it's in um every school has different policies you know uh as far as you know marching band or you might have to audition for the jazz band or some schools that have really big programs they might have uh an orchestra and then a like a select orchestra of some sort or a, mm-hmm. a concert band a big wind band and a wind ensemble so you would audition for that one to get into those but for the most part, you can simply sign up to be in your school music program. Uh, you know, ask ask them what the requirements are. They might have specific playing levels that you're expected to to do. Um, but uh, the the nice thing is that most music programs in schools, of course, every school is different, but it's usually um, for credit, and you get a grade. And they're usually considered to be on the advanced side of the grading system. So um, that can be helpful, you know, to in your decision making as far as whether or not to do band but or orchestra or whatever. But uh, it doesn't take much to sign up for your school music program. Um, and you can catch up pretty well if you're motivated to do so. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm sure colleges... If your school has like a big music, I'm just saying in general, because I think this is pretty much true for all colleges. It's just like a general thing. If you're, if the college knows your school, like if your school is pretty big and they get like a lot of applicants from there, they'll know about your school's music program and know how like competitive it is within your own, like, I guess like orchestra or whatever to like get first chair and stuff. So I think they're familiar with that. So I, th- I don't really want to talk much about that. I want to talk about outside of school orchestras and like bands, because I think that's where it like really does make a difference. So where do you even begin to look at orchestras or like symphonies, whatever it may be outside your school? Like, when do you start? How difficult is it, et cetera? So every... I'll say every major city at least, but all over the country, there are these wonderful youth orchestras. And 
they're in a nonprofit or on organizations, uh, and they're always recruiting students for their programs, and they're all different levels. So um, here in New England, there there's there's like a really great one up in Portland, Maine, and then there's like some some um, I mean that one's fairly competitive, and then there's some less competitive ones between Maine and Boston, and then there's this big one in Boston. <laughs> so uh, in, in your in your area, it's not that hard to find out where the youth orchestras are and what level they're at. Uh, same with uh, community choruses, and even if your town doesn't have one, there's often community bands, which is like the community. So if you're not a high level, if you're an intermediate trumpet player and you want to be in something outside of school, you could be in the the town's community band that plays at Memorial Day or the 4th of July or something, you know, and that can be um, something outside of school that you did without an audition. But there are youth orchestras and community orchestra, uh, community choir groups, student choir groups uh, all over the country. The best resource for finding out is usually your private teacher. Your private teacher usually mm -hmm. knows. And uh, most of these groups um, <clears throat> market themselves to private teachers because that's where the bulk of their students come from. Uh, and so your private teacher will know. Oh, sorry. You like, I thought you froze. Like you just stopped. So I was like, oh, did oh. you freeze? All right. <laughs> okay. So in like, again, I don't know how this works. Like I barely know how athletics works. So, you know, I don't know how music works at all. So with athletes, like you go to counties and you go to states, et cetera, and you can get like awards there. And like, I don't think you can get individual awards. Like if you're on the cross country team, for example, I think it's like your school wins, but I'm sure you could like mention that you were like the fastest one on your like resume with music when you're playing in an, I don't know about schools, like what kind of awards they do that. I think they just perform like a couple times a year, but mm -hmm. for like orchestras outside of school, um, that are well-established and that colleges will know, especially if you're in a major city. So are there awards associated with that? Like, do you come, how, how does the competition go in like the, um, across like orchestras across like the United States? Are there competitions? You know, when do they happen? What kind of awards mm -hmm. do you receive? And do you ever get special mentions if you, for example, like play a solo in that concert? Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are great questions. So um, it varies by instrument. You know, there are, um, there are solo competitions for like, there's some very famous ones for, for violin and for uh, piano, uh, world famous ones that people all over would know about. And then there's like community ones and smaller ones in, in pretty much every state solo competitions. Often they're run by either a nonprofit or by a, um, uh, the music educators of the, of the state might have a, a music educators solo festival where you can win awards. Um, for the symphony orchestras, the, the youth orchestras and um, youth choirs and those kinds of things, those are usually by audition. So when you put it on your resume, you can list that you were selected, you were one of 14 violins selected to perform, to be in this ensemble. So, so the fact that you got in is kind of the award. Mm -hmm. And so when we're creating the resume, we make sure that it's listed that way so that if you're applying to something outside of your area, they can see that, oh, it's a, um, oh, they took, they took four flutes. And so you could say one of four flutes chosen to do this, this concert series or whatever it is. And so you can, there's, 
when we're working on the music resume, we find ways to take the things that you've done and to get it so that it can be clear on the resume. So we kind of, it's, it's sort of crafted for you, for the, each specific student. So, you know, if you, if you, um, one of the things that we include in the music resume is a whole page of repertoire, which is the music that's written for your instrument. So uh, if you got to play a major symphony, if you're a piccolo player and you got to play the New World Symphony, for example, everybody, everybody in the music department at any school knows about the piccolo part on the New World Symphony. And so when you have your repertoire list and you say that you were a piccolo player with the Boston Youth Symphony, and on there it says that you played. Um, Dvorak's New World Symphony, they'd be like, oh, I know exactly what that is. I know exactly what level they must be at to have been able to do that. So we can, we communicate the things that you have won or that you have earned. We can find ways to communicate it in your um, uh, on your resume, uh, including the large ensemble work um, by audition and chamber ensembles. Those are small groups that you um, might audition for or be selected for. Um, any solo work that you've done. So if you did a solo recital or if you were participating in a solo um, recital from the music school you attend or your private teacher, what have you, um, all of those we, we list right on there. One of the uh, awards, I've got some notes here from, um, uh, from, from your questions, but one of the awards that you might win is a scholarship. And so we, we list the scholarship winning things and all of them count. I was working with a young woman who won a scholarship that was, it was called like, it was called like the Tuesday Music Ladies Lunch Scholarship or something like that. It had a very funny name. And in her little town, there were these very fancy ladies. They were all retired ladies and they loved music and they had like music lunches on Tuesdays or something. And um, every year they would raise some money and they would have this scholarship that they would give to a local student who was going to college and going to play music in college. And so it was like $400 or $500 or something, right? And when the, the client was like, oh, I don't really have scholarships to list. And she said, oh, I only have this Tuesday ladies scholarship. And I was like, what is that? So she told me what it was. And I'm like, you won. So we list it because then people know that the, that the people in your community gave you money to support what you're doing. It doesn't matter that it was $500. You don't even have to say how much it was, but any of those little opportunities, any of those little, um, you know, if you want a scholarship to be in the youth orchestra, if you want some, in, so, um, a lot of music programs in high schools, public schools, they have little scholarships to take private lessons or a scholarship to attend a music camp or a scholarship to buy, to put towards a new instrument. Uh, if you won one of those, then we list it on your resume so that because that just shows that you're someone that people already um, already support. They already feel like you're you're going somewhere. And so that's important to communicate. So. Mm -hmm. All right. So you did a great job of explaining like the different awards and like especially playing like a certain instrument in a certain like mm -hmm. symphony. That can be really impressive because the people who play music know what like the difficulty yeah. that is. Yeah. But what I was. I think this is, I think this is, I heard this from my choir friend, but I'm sure it applies to people who play in symphonies and orchestras. There's like competitions and there are like judges and they give you a score and they're like other, like maybe a couple other schools competing. So when you have, what is like, the, is there a competition yeah. between like symphonies? What are the scores yeah. that judges give you mean? Like, is yeah. that a score for the overall or do they give like, oh, the violins were playing particularly well? 
cellos were lacking a bit. I don't know stuff like do they like how does it look like when you're actually at a competition and there are judges giving you marks on your orchestra or your choir? I love that question. So yeah, there's all kinds of competitions uh, and and those so, those ensemble competitions. They also have them for marching band and they have them oh, for yeah. winter percussion and they have them for um, you know wind wind ensemble or what have you. Uh, they even have them for theater, like your theater group can go perform part of their play at a play festival and those kinds of things. So the, part of it is a critique and every group, every organization has a different school ring system or whatnot. So, you know, you might get a five star performance or you might get a four rating like they, You know, they call them all different things. And so it it, it it's almost a moot point. But um, uh, they they. They always have something to do with the whole ensemble and there's a whole system that they include in it. So they would talk about intonation and the choice of repertoire and all of these things. Um, but if there was a solo, someone might get a special commendation for having an outstanding solo within a piece that they played. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you list um, when you list that band, so you could say, you know, my the, the Triton High School band, uh, won five-star rating at the Music Education, Massachusetts Instrumental and Choral Conducting Association. You know, you put down the name of the thing and you say that won a five-star rating and I got a special commendation, whatever they call it at that mm -hmm. festival, for my solo in X piece. So you can list that on your resume. Uh, and if you didn't get a solo, then you still could say, um, as a bullet point under the ensemble that you're in, you still could say that we competed at such and such and won a five-star rating so that they see what your level is and they see the music department at that college will see that you know you've been active in a band you were playing first chair or second chair in a band that's winning these kinds of things like clearly you're more experienced than someone who wasn't in band in school and then just one other question to do with competitions you know, I'm from Maryland, so Baltimore Youth Symphony Orchestra. My friends are, I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure that's the one my friends are in. So, like, does, for example, the Baltimore um, Youth Symphony Orchestra, do they ever compete with, let's say, like the Boston Youth Symphony Orchestra? Like, is there ever national competitions? Um, I don't know of one, but let's start oh. one. That would be so fun. Oh, really? Would, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, sure. I'll, the... I'll, I'll call my friends and I'll ask them if they're Let's get that to started. We could get people, the, the youth orchestras from all over the country to come to one place and have them all do a festival. That would be amazing. I feel like that, I, I thought that kind of thing would exist. Like, I mean, there are national robotics competitions where like <laughs> all over, I would think like music is a pretty big thing. Like they would have yeah, something like that. They have more of that for solo players or for chamber uh, groups. And, and I think logistically, <laughs> it's just easier to bring, you know, a trio or a solo to a competition somewhere in the country than it oh, is that's to, true. Than a to, to load in your orchestra and yeah. travel across the country. Although uh, a lot of the school public schools will do that. And they, a lot of schools will take their ensembles to a, a, a festival. Um, mm. And, but, uh, but the youth orchestras don't typically do that, but they do tons of stuff that's really high end anyway. So uh, it might not be necessary, but we'll think, on, we'll think about it. Maybe we'll start it. All right. So, and another, I lied, that's not my last question. So if you, let's say, play the clarinet, for example, are yes. there like statewide, nationalwide competitions specifically for your instrument? Because I think you mentioned that, but we didn't elaborate on that. Yeah. So I don't know the ins and outs of every single instrument, but there are, I know for flute, for example, the National Flute Association has some competitions. 
the Greater Boston, there used to be a group called the Greater Boston Flute Association that had like competition festival types of things. Uh, Flute Talk Magazine used to have one. So I, I don't know where they all are at this point, but um, especially post COVID, but uh, there, there are lots of organizations for each instrument and they often have private or solo competitions uh, for that instrument, various types. And, you know, I tell my clients to just take every audition, just, just take every audition, just do it. It gets easy after you've been doing it for a while. And, um, you know, if you win, if you, if you win a five-star rating or if you win, you know, an A <laughs> in New Hampshire, there's a solo festival that the music educators run. And um, if you play really well, you get an A rating. It, then next is the B rating or whatnot. Uh, there are some that do gold, silver, bronze, whatever. So to be able to say that you participated in anything and won, won first prize or won mm -hmm. um, a gold rating or those kinds of things, that just shows a different level of, of commitment and expertise. And so I say do them all, but your private teacher would be the one who knows best about what options are open to you in your area. All right. So I want to get into like a couple last things before we wrap up here. So number one is you definitely mentioned scholarships a lot. Mm -hmm. I know you in our email chain, you've also discussed scholarships, like mentioning them as yep. well. So can you tell me, do most like is it kind of like, I don't know, like an athletic scholarship to get a music scholarship at merit-based schools? Is it pretty much the same kind of process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very similar. Uh, and it's, you know, just like with athletics, it depends on what they need mm -hmm. that year, That's you true. know? So, so if they don't, if they're, if they're looking at their orchestra and they realize that they're short on cellos and, uh, and you come along and you've played in all state and you did a summer music program and you, you know, you can take private lessons and all these things. Um, the, the, that information, you start a conversation with the music department about that stuff. So even before you start applying to the school and you find out what the options are, what the opportunities are, and you send them all of your stuff and you talk to the cello professor and you talk to the orchestra conductor and you say, you know, I play the cello and I, I want to come to your school and they might be like, oh, we don't have many cellos. What have you got up your sleeve? And they might hear have you play and those kinds of things. Um, and so it's not, well, I guess it's not the same every year, but that's the same with sports, right? That mm -hmm. if they don't need a, if they don't need a specific, if, if they don't need a, I, don't, I can't even say a, a, a position on a team. If they don't need a pitcher, <laughs> I came up with a position. <laughs> if they don't need a pitcher, uh, if they've got really high end pitchers right now, then they're not going to be going around recruiting to give somebody scholarship money to pitch in their softball team or their baseball team. Right. Um, so so but they the music department, just like the athletic department, music departments at many schools, of course, every school is different. But at many schools, music departments have a budget. And if they know that we've got to get a cello in here and they find out that you're what they need then they might just say, here, we're going to, we'll give you this much money if you will play the cello in our school. I, one of my very first, uh, I think she was my, she was my client before I had started my business, Music Builds Lives. And um, uh, I just, I was just working with her because I knew all of this stuff. And she wanted to go to school for, on a field hockey scholarship. And she did all of the field hockey things. And she, Everybody knew that she was going to go on a field hockey scholarship. She won the right stuff. She was, and when it came down to it, she just wasn't. No one, came, no one looked at her, and she 
not only was she not offered a scholarship, but she wasn't even offered any opportunities to play. And she was a really high-end field hockey player. But at that point, they just the competition was intense and they just didn't have the, the need. And in the meantime, I was forcing her to keep her music resume up to date and to put certain things on it and to go do certain activities so that and uh, I forced her to send her stuff to the music departments and all of these things. And she um, chose a school and sent all this stuff to the music department. And they called her at home. And without even an audition, they said, this was a flute student of mine, without even an audition, they said to her, uh, we need a flutist for our orchestra. If you'll play in the orchestra, we'll give you full tuition. And she called me and said, I was hoping they'd let me play in the orchestra, right? Mm-hmm. But instead, she went to school on a on a music scholarship to study business at it's a small liberal arts college, but they didn't have a good flute player. And she 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 was. And um so they so she got a scholarship and she got to play in the orchestra all four years. Damn. Damn. Should have played an instrument. All right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> One thing that um, I forgot to like follow up uh, when you mentioned this earlier, but when y- music departments don't reach out like athletic departments, I know I've interviewed like ath- student athletes at schools, even like top schools, and they would tell me the recruiting process. Coaches would come to them, watch them play, mm-hmm. talk to them afterwards, and that's how they would contact them and start like, you know, talking I back and forth. But if music departments don't reach out, what exactly do you have to do on your end? Do you just send an email to like, I don't know, the band director of the school that you want to play to do you need to be introduced like what how do you even like begin to ask so to be in their music program it's much less um it's much different and less um similar at each school than the athletic stuff is there's a real system for the athletics um you know for music degree programs if you want to go study music there are some deans of music departments who will go to college fairs or things like that and and talk up the school, talk up the program, but they're really not going to show up at your orchestra yeah. concert. And that just doesn't, it just doesn't happen like that. What does happen though, is that, um, and, and let's talk about studying music as a degree. Uh, what does happen is that in many instances, the private teacher, the private instrument professor at the school Uh, has a lot of say in whether or not they teach a particular student. And so what I, and so this is what music builds lives is all about. I'm always coaching students on how to talk to people at the music department, how to figure out whom to talk to, how to, um, how to reach out to them, what to send them, what to say. Um, And so one thing to always do is if you have a professor and I have to say that for someone who's going to study music to become a, a, a music, uh, a performance major at a school, uh, the probably the single most important element of the college is your private instructor. You're going to do all of your one-on-one training with that person. So you want to know that it's the right fit and they want to know too, like they don't want to teach you if they can't teach you, you know? So, um, I urge my students to go to master classes. And now it's even a little bit easier because some of them are online. So you can at least participate online, uh, if not attend in person. But to go to master classes where these people are teaching and to have actual conversation with the person 
uh, and see if you can play for them, see if you can have a private lesson with them, see if you can uh, just really start a relationship so that um, so that the school knows that you're someone that they want to teach. Uh, and then, yeah, you send your resume to and your repertoire list to the chairman of the department or to the uh, person who who conducts the ensemble that you're interested in and make sure that they know that you're interested, make sure that you're um, uh, that that you're at the right level and that you're talking and filling a need. It, 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 that's how to do it. So the students do that. And um, you could just imagine how much sophistication it takes for a student, you know, someone who's applying for, you know, biology, they're not, they're not reaching out like this. So the music students get good at doing this. And those are the ones who end up getting really great opportunities. So we, we music students end up being the ones who are doing the reaching out and getting the information to the right people and, um, uh, and telling them who we, who they are. All right. So there's one more thing I want to discuss before we wrap up is the time commitment that it takes for music, you know, athletics, if you want to be the top and you want to play like, like at one of the top schools in football, like you got to work your ass off. Same for music. And I will tell, I, again, I have music friends, so I know the time commitment it takes. One that clarinet, like my classmate who plays the clarinet, I said his sister, older sister played the bassoon and she went to like either Juilliard or Curtis, one of them, one of those two. Right. And like, I didn't hear it from him directly, but I heard it from one of our mutual um, friends, his family, they constantly moved around to get a high school, which ended up being our high school, a high school that had a good enough music program for her. They were constantly moving around and she was constantly playing and like people were visiting her and she was going and like the amount of effort, not just her, but her whole family put into and I think this is why he was pushed into music as well. But the whole like effort that their family put into just getting their daughter to like one of these top um, Juilliard or Curtis, one of them. Yeah. So this top school was like immense. Yeah. So, and my even my friend who's an oboe player, she's like, like, should I do it? Should I major in it? Should I just keep it as a hobby for the rest of my life? She's like so much time and like committed hours and you're like so frustrated that you can't play this like line correctly and you just for like hours and hours you sit so if you want to be in music can you explain like what is the time commitment to true because each instrument will have its difficulty there's no like one really easy instrument can you say like what is like the time commitment that you need if you really want to create a really sophisticated music resume and just become a really good musician yourself yeah. So I would say that the example that you gave is extreme. It's, mm-hmm. that's oh, very I know. Extreme. That is not typical. Juilliard and Curtis uh, is like. That is not typical and it's extreme. And um, I, I can say that I was just working with um, a client who's just that I'm just wrapping up with now who's gone through the process, who was, I, I think, a bit of an underdog and um, came to me in September, which was really, really late. And, but he jumped through all the hoops and did all of the things. And we chose four uh, very, uh, very wonderful music schools for him to apply to. Um, Two of them are very uh, excellent schools. And um, he did all the things and he got into all four of his schools with really, really wonderful scholarship options, which was a, a really great. Um, result. Um, so, and, and he's probably, so, so 
huh, I don't, it's an impossible question to answer. I would say that if you want to be a performer, that you have to be doing the work every single day. We'll put it that much. Uh, and, and, and when you get to college, you'll, you'll, work even more every single day but that holds true with your biology class you're taking ap biology you're going to be working really hard right now every single day and then when you go to college to study biology you're going to be working even harder and more every single day on biology right it's the same with piano it's the same with everything you you just have to really put smart time in um and and you know musicians just like athletes are prone to injury Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to overuse uh, problems. And so if you if you have a really great private teacher, and I can't stress that enough, then your private teacher um, will will help you to figure out what amount of work is required for you to reach the goals that you want to reach. If your goal is to get into the Juilliard school, then your friend's family did all the right things, yeah. right? But if your goal is to go to a great university and to be able to march in their gigantic marching band and to get um, a degree in clarinet and then go on to be able to have a career playing the clarinet, um, then, you know, you can ha- you don't have to go through the hoops that the Juilliard family went through. Um, uh, so so the time commitment, you know, you hear these stories, you know, oh, at Juilliard, you practice eight hours a day. If if. If I practiced the flute eight hours a day, I would hurt myself. You know, like you, you, you can, I know pianists. Uh, I have a colleague who, um, when I was in grad school, she's a pianist and she injured her wrists from practicing so much. And she had to take a couple of years off. Bruh, oh my God. Right. So, so it's not just about the time. It's about the intelligent work. Uh, there's a very famous flute person. Professor in the world, Trevor Y, and he says it's about time, patience, and intelligent work. And and so I would I would say that the answer is uh, would be better found with their private teacher. You know, somebody who's it depends on your level, it depends on your goals. Um, you know, but most of the professional musicians I know who are making a living um, are practicing a few hours a day. And that's as part of their profession, practicing a few hours a day. And then they're in rehearsals for, you know, however many hours a week. And then they're in concerts. So um, uh, it, it, it definitely varies and it depends on your instrument. All right. So thank you very much for coming today. Have a good rest of the night. You too. Thank you. You, you rock. You're thank awesome. You. No, you're even better. You made the interview. Okay. Bye-bye. No, you did. No, you did. All right, we both did. We both did. That's it. We rock. We We rocked it. We do. (laughs) I'll see you later. Thank you. Good luck. Bye bye. Feel better. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's it for my episode with Trisha. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I will leave the information for how to contact her down below in the description. Again, make sure you subscribe because next week I'll be releasing an interview with Ethan. And Ethan, he's a high school senior. He's not set on where he wants to go yet, but he did get into USC, UC Berkeley, and a a bunch of other UCs that I cannot remember right now. And he is currently deciding between USC and Chapman University. You do not want to miss that. And I hope to see you there. (laughs) 